I don't know about you, but recently my desire for Christ to return and make all things new has only been heightened in the wake of all that we've been experiencing as a city and a nation over these last couple weeks. Um, This is a time in our gathering where we devote ourselves to the expositional preaching of God's word. We believe the best way, the, the ordinary way for us to learn God's word together is to give ourselves to the study and exposition of books of the Bible. Um, but sometimes we go through circumstances, as Drew said in the liturgy, um, where we need help understanding how God's word in general helps us process what's going on around us contextually. So this morning is one of those mornings. Um, This morning, I I wish more than ever, we weren't also dealing with the COVID crisis because this would especially be the kind of time I wish we could all be together in the same room. And so this morning, I want to take some time to do two things. Number one, I want to spend some time speaking to us freely as a congregation, as a family, about how we should process what's going on around us. And I want to take some time also to begin, and I use that word intentionally, to begin to look at how God's word calls the people of God to respond to injustices that surround us in our broken world. And so I want to talk a little bit about how I'm being affected, how your leadership is being affected by what's going on around us in the city and in the nation. And I also want to spend some time beginning to look at some texts of scripture that will help us get a handle of God's call to us, not just in general, but for us in particular, Covenant Community Church, what is God calling us to do in response to the cries for racial justice all around us at this present moment? We live in a city um, where we cannot escape the cries for justice, and that is good. And I believe we have a responsibility to answer the cries according to God's word in the name of Jesus. And so I would invite you now in preparation for that moment when we look at a few texts of scripture to take your Bible and first turn to Isaiah chapter 1. And then you got to be fast. Right after that, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. I want to show the relationship between Isaiah chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 5 here in just a few moments. But Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Let us hear the word of God. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel... You shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice. That is the word of God from Isaiah. Now I direct your attention to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and teaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And oh church, how we at this moment desperately need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So once again, thousands of people made their way into the Benjamin Park, Benjamin Franklin Parkway yesterday to peacefully protest the racial injustices experienced by the black community. As you continue to process all that this means, one thing is for sure. The crises of injustice and the cries for justice cannot be ignored. Moving on, simply moving on until the next name and hashtag arrives just is not an option. Peaceful protests, riots, and even looting in our city does not allow us to simply move on. Sirens, nightly explosions, and helicopters will not simply allow us to move on. This has been our experience as a city, and this has been the experience of cities all across the United States of America for day upon day upon day. I agree with Dr. Eric Mason, a lead pastor of Epiphany Fellowship Church here in Philadelphia, as he was explaining in a discussion with his church last Sunday, there just seems something different about this moment. Yes, it's another hashtag. Yes, there are particular nuances to the unjust death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but the lingering effects of outrage and the lingering effects of cries for justice seems unique at this moment. And I agree. I believe that in God's providence, we are at a tipping point. This is not just the carefully crafted and calculated actions of a movement. This is not just political leveraging. This truly is a moment where we as the church of Jesus Christ must back up and say something is going on and we must have something to do. It's undeniable that our nation has been plagued by the injustices of racism for far too long and I believe it's as if God is saying I'm not 
letting you get beyond this moment. Even if the nation eventually does, even if nothing changes systemically in the United States anytime soon, even if the hashtags change, even if the news cycle moves on, church, I believe that part of what God is saying to us, we must not move on. The church of Jesus Christ has work to do. We must never move on. And may we repent if we have moved on from doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. I believe that this is a moment, a moment of repentance and renewal and re-engagement for the church of Jesus Christ. Because here's reality. Racism is not just an issue for the black community. Racism is not just an issue for the black church to have to deal with. Racism is our issue. And what do I mean by our? If you're joining us, if you're, if you're coming into our live stream, and you may not even be a follower of Jesus Christ, what do I mean by saying racism is our issue? It's our issue because it's humanity's issue. This is a human injustice. We were all created in the image of of a just and righteous God to display the justice and righteousness of God through our lives, both Godward and toward one another. And when humanity has a problem with being what we were created to be, Christ is the answer. And if Christ is the answer, then church, we have a responsibility to bring the light of the gospel into this present darkness. And let's not be deceived, and don't hear me incorrectly, half measures won't work. Social justice reform is part of it, but it's not all of it. What do I mean? I was listening this week to a talk given by Dr. Tony Evans, and in fact, we've put together a, a list of resources for you to benefit from uh, we're going to begin as a church to listen and to learn. And, and part of it is reading and watching and listening. I hope you're ready. I spent a lot of time this week doing that myself. I was listening to a talk by Dr. Tony Evans. And he is not only a faithful preacher of the gospel, but he is a very helpful commentator on culture, in particular with the stuff that's going on around us with racial injustice. And he's an older gentleman, if you're not aware of him, if you don't know him. And he has a perspective that he believes the church missed out on an opportunity on the other side of the civil rights victories back in the late 60s, early 70s. That those civil rights victories were only partial in their ability to bring solutions and healings to the, the systemic changes that needed to take place in the midst of racial discrimination, inequality, and racial injustice. And he was saying that laws and policies and legislation can only provide parameters for what is legal. But in order for human beings to operate with hearts, 
within the context of what is legal and what should be in a society can only be so if those hearts are inclined to believe the truths that are not only self-evident according to our Constitution, but they're most importantly self-evident in the pages of the Word of God, that we've all been created equal. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God. So the only way for us to treat one another fairly, justly, equally, from a heart that is eager to do so, is when hearts have been aligned with the purposes and plans of God. And the only way hearts can be aligned with the purposes and plans of God for all of creation, for all of humanity, is through the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who came to restore us back to the purposes and plans of God through his atoning sacrifice and glorious resurrection. And Dr. Evans was saying that he believes the church failed The church missed the opportunity and the responsibility to follow on the heels of the civil rights movement to bring the gospel to bear. Social reform was part of it, but spiritual regeneration was necessary. And we hold the message that brings life to hearts that realign us with the purposes of God, that help us understand why these civil rights why these civil rights are truly rights. We must not make the same mistake that the church may have made several decades ago. It's no longer legit to say that this is not an issue. It's no longer satisfactory for individual people to say, I'm not a racist, so there must not be a systemic race issue. There has always been a systemic race issue because there's always been a systemic issue with sin and in particular pride. Pride always elevates oneself. Pride always elevates our preferences. Pride always elevates our rights. Pride always elevates our comforts. Pride always pushes others down so that we can gain and benefit. We not only do that individually, but we also do that as a society. So it shouldn't surprise us. And don't be afraid of using this language. Ditch the political ideals and embrace the biblical realities. Racism is a systemic issue. Why? Because pride is. It's there. It's here. And we see it operating all around us. Dr. John Piper made the following comment about the relationship between racism and pride. He said, racism is the spoiled child of pride. And structural racism is the sturdy child of structural pride. They are organically connected. Pride gives birth to racism Structural or systemic pride gives birth to structural racism. We need to stop deflecting, denying, and defending. Racism is a pervasive issue of the human experience. Racism is a pervasive 
issue of human injustice. And to contextualize this to this moment in our country, there have been no greater victims of racial injustice than the black community. No sooner was the ink dry on the greatest constitution ever penned in human society. No sooner were the words written, all men are created equal and endowed with certain inalienable rights from their creator. No sooner did those words dry did we displace the Native Americans and dock the slave ships and begin our sad American story of not treating black and brown-skinned people equally. We just need to say it because it's reality. In our country, black individuals became the means to white man's gain. This is not made up. We can't pretend it's not true. Now listen, we live in an amazing country with remarkable freedoms. If you know me personally, you know I'm very patriotic. I have an American flag hanging on my back patio. I support and love our military and our, and our law enforcement officers, and I am deeply indebted to all those who laid down their life to secure our freedoms. But this is part of our history. There are parts of our history that are downright despicable and evil. And church, we must not be afraid to say it. We must not be afraid to lose political clout by declaring it. Jesus is our king. The Bible is our authoritative rule for life. Jesus doesn't ride on the back of an elephant or a donkey and wear a red, white, and blue cape. You know that, right? And we need to be honest and tell the true story of our country so that we can change. We have the greatest constitution on the planet in my estimation and we must admit what needs to change before we can experience the goodness of all those freedoms. Don't make the mistake of interpreting our history politically. It will only stop us, church, from rising up to the moment and being who we need to be and do what we need to do in the name of Jesus. We need to discern it and critique it Biblically, with integrity. The Acts 29 Global Church Planting Network said it well in a statement they released this week. And I quote, George Floyd's death plea, I can't breathe, has become the rallying cry for people who have experienced the suffocating grip of racial oppression and injustice. Racism is undeniably woven into the fabric of this nation. 
from our treatment of Native Americans to the institution of slavery, segregation policies and Jim Crow laws, redlining in urban sectors and the ever evolving overt and covert modern practices in our economic, political, social and religious spheres of life. Black men and women live under the particularly heavy shadow of generational pain that is the result of gross inequality and inequity. I stand by that statement. Right now, what's happening? We are hearing the cries of generational pain. And don't let other injustices and other criminal activity obscure that for you. We're the church. We understand that when we don't have Jesus, we don't know what to do with our hurt. We don't know what to do with our pain. And this in no way justifies violence, acting against violence with violence. But we of all people, the church of Jesus Christ should understand that we naturally don't know what to do with our hurt. We naturally don't know what to do with our pain. We naturally don't know what to do when we are oppressed. And it might not be your pain. But please don't tell others that they're not experiencing pain. Don't tell others that their pain is imaginary. Don't tell others that their pain has been impressed upon them because of a political or media-driven narrative. Oh, we do. We do not love when we tell people their pain is not real and their cries are not genuine. When we do that, we make their pain and their suffering about us. My friend and fellow pastor Doug Logan posted the following on social media this weekend. It's a little punchy, but it really, it really got me. He said, what COVID and racism have in common, colon, people don't believe they exist if they haven't affected them personally. People don't believe they exist if they haven't affected them personally. Listen, beloved, listen, my brothers and sisters, listen. We are a multi-ethnic church family. We have a multi-ethnic leadership. So if you personally struggle to embrace that systemic racism is reality because it hasn't been your experience, then I exhort you to humbly test your presuppositions by talking with our black and brown skin brothers right here in our church family. Listen. Learn. Ask them. They have stories. They have trauma. They have fear. This is not a narrative being pushed. This is a personal experience by those that you know and you love. Ask Charles. Ask Val. Ask Aaron. Read 
John Rice's poem, Until We Breathe. Read Jess Hunter's reflection, Racism in My Skin. And here's what you'll find out. This is very real. This is under our roof. In our family. We spent a good amount of time this past Monday night in our monthly deacon, deaconess, and elder huddle hearing stories from some of our leaders about the ways they have experienced racial injustices throughout their lives. I say all of that to say this. It's right here. It's not just out there. It's right here among us. Where there exists a pervasive injustice in our world, my brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ has a moral and missiological responsibility to do something about it. Let me say that again. Where there exists a pervasive injustice in our world, the church of Jesus Christ has a moral and missiological responsibility to do something about it. And where do we get this from? How can I make such a statement? We get this straight from the mouth of the one who experienced the greatest injustice. We get this straight from the mouth of the one who experienced the most horrendous form of police brutality. The one who suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We get this straight from the mouth of Jesus who said this. I've already read it. I'll read it again. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Oh, there's so much in here. And we're going to meditate on this for several weeks. But here's what Jesus makes clear in those three verses. And if there was a big idea, if this was a traditional sermon, this is what it would be. The church must shine the light of God's righteousness and justice into the darkness of our morally corrupt world. The church must shine the light of God's righteousness and justice. And in this moment... We must be compelled to see it this way. The church must shine the light of God's righteousness and justice into the darkness of racial injustice. Church, I believe, and, and, and as we submit ourselves to the Lord on this particular issue, as we seek to, be a, to faithfully apply this text to what's going on around us right now in terms of racial injustice, I have such confidence that you will. I have such confidence that we will. Why? Because this is who we are. This is what you've been doing. 
in other areas of injustice, in other areas where there is need. You have risen to the occasion by the grace of God to be what we're called to be, to shine the light of God's grace into the darkness of the injustices of abortion. As we shine the light of God's mercy and defend the voice of the voiceless and care for the unborn and come alongside single mothers who are confused and conflicted with unwanted pregnancies. And we've been partnering with Alpha Care right here in our neighborhood and you have been doing this valiantly. Why? Not just because it's a social justice issue. It's that, and we care about that, but it's also a biblical issue. This is what we do when there are vulnerable and endangered people around us. Church, you've been doing this faithfully, shining the light of God's righteousness and justice into the dark neglect of the homeless and needy in our neighborhood. We've been following Bill Rodeball's leadership. We've been, we've been going into the community. We've been going to Chosen 300. We've been partnering and we've been feeding body and soul. And we've been giving of our resources and giving of our time. Because why? There is a, there is a need. And so you're doing it. And since you have embraced our responsibility in these ways... I'm actually quite excited despite the sobering reality we find ourselves in because I'm confident that by the grace of God, you will obey Jesus and we will shine the light of God's righteousness and justice into the darkness of racial injustice. And I don't know how long this will take me, and I've already used the majority of my time this morning. But I want to begin by simply explaining what Jesus meant by these words. You are the light of the world. You are a city of light. Shining into a dark world. That needs to see. That needs to see the unseeable. That needs aid in making visible the invisible, bringing glory to God in heaven through whatever Jesus means here by good works. I want to demonstrate how this applies particularly to what we're dealing with in the arena of racial injustice and how we are called to do something about it. So let me just make these preliminary comments and then we'll continue. This is definitely a to-be-continued sermon. I want you to notice two things, at least for our purposes this morning, about what Jesus just said in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. First, did you notice that Jesus identifies his followers as a city of light? You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And did you notice that Jesus commissions his followers not only to embrace their identity as a city of light, but to be a city of light, to be what they are. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, this is who you are, a city of light. And this is what you do, shine that light. This is who you are, and this is what you do. He begins with identity, and then he moves to activity. We do what we do because we are who we are. And Jesus is saying, my people, my followers, my church, here is who you are. You are a city of light. And because of who you are, this is what you must do. Let that light shine through good works that bring glory to God the Father in heaven. Now before we get into the particulars of what it looks like to do that, what it looks like to embrace our identity of being a city of light and engage in our activity of letting that light shine through good works, it's important to note where Jesus gets this imagery. Now Jesus is a masterful teacher. He's making up his own material all the time, especially in his parables. He's a, he's a, he's a masterful, winsome communicator and teacher. But this content is borrowed. This is an allusion to previous biblical material. And so do you know, where else in the Bible are God's people identified as a city with the responsibility to shine their light before others and bring glory to God in heaven? There was another very famous and literal city on a hill. A city that represented God's people as a whole. A city that served as a light to the nations that the one true God is worthy of worship, obedience, and love. And that his offer of salvation extends to all the families of the earth. That city, that literal city on a hill, on a mountain, was Jerusalem. Zion, the city of God. The city of Jerusalem, in one sense, represented the people of God as a whole. Did you even notice that as John was reading Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9? He was praying for the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because it, was, it represented all of God's people as a whole. It was the centerpiece of the life and mission of God's people. And this city had a great responsibility. This city was called to serve as a light of God's salvation to the world. Isaiah 49 verse 6, I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. What happened in this city was never meant to stay in this city. This city was to be the means of spreading the good news of God's promise to Abraham for the nations. They were blessed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. God wanted all the nations to know that his salvation was available to them. How would they know? Through this city on a hill. And you have to understand that salvation in the Old Testament sense 
was more than personal salvation. Salvation is to experience the full restorative shalom of God. Yes, God's rescue through atonement, but also God's holistic renewal by restoring wholeness and thriving to humanity once again. Jeremiah 33, 7. This city shall be a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth. Who shall hear of all the good that I do for them? (laughs) This city on a hill had the responsibility to serve the world. Not just themselves, but the world. Through their worship of the one true God, through their witness to God's salvation, and through their works of righteousness, justice, and mercy. Jerusalem was called to be a city on a hill that not only served themselves, but served the world that shined for the glory of the triune God. But sadly, if you were paying attention to the reading from Isaiah earlier, the city was not faithful to their calling. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah to confront them for not being a faithful city and he calls them to repentance. God had enough of their hypocritical worship because they were ceasing to do the works that served as a witness to the nation. So Isaiah declares with quite direct language, chapter 1, verse 21, how the faithful city has become a whore. The faithful city had become an unfaithful city. They had become unfaithful to the purposes of God. So God issues a call to repentance and the promise of renewal. His issue was not with what they were doing in the temple. His issue was what they weren't doing in the streets of their city and for the nations of the world. So he calls them to repent, beginning in verse 16. Listen. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Their evil was in not doing good works. Their evil is that they weren't seeking justice. They weren't correcting oppression. They weren't bringing justice to the most vulnerable among them, the orphans and the widows. They failed to do what needed to be done for the victims of injustice among them. This was evil. This is why they're called an unfaithful city. They weren't a city of justice. They weren't a city of righteousness. But you probably also noticed in our reading of Isaiah 1 that God in his mercy said, if you repent, you can be faithful again. Verse 18, though your sins are like scarlet, 
they can be as white as snow. And this wasn't a part of our reading a few moments ago, but I love the hope of verse 26. I will make you a faithful city again. Their failures in the present did not need to remain because God in his mercy would forgive them, restore them, cleanse them, and then resend them out for their purpose. But sadly, this would never happen in Isaiah's day. Jerusalem continued to be an unfaithful city, and God sent Babylon and brought down this city from their hill. But the promises of God are without repentance. Jesus was sent to rebuild the city. He would become a man and be faithful where they were unfaithful. He would do this by becoming the center of worship as the true and better temple. He would do this by becoming the witness of God's salvation to the nations as the true and better light. He would do this by doing the work of taking up the cause of the vulnerable and the needy by laying down his life as the true and better servant. Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead to build a faithful city. A city of men and women from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation who would exist on this world as a part of his body, as a part of his very life to live and be faithful where Israel was unfaithful. They would be a new Israel, a new humanity made up of all the families of the earth through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They would be the light of the world. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they would let their light so shine to the nations, calling men and women to come to Christ, not only for forgiveness, not only for rescue, but for realignment and reconciliation with the full and total purposes of God. To be a worshiping, witnessing, and working community, bringing glory to the triune God. Jesus did everything necessary to rebuild, to resurrect this faithful city. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus is saying to those who are following him, that's who you are. This is who we are. And this is what we do. Through Jesus, the light of the world, we have become a city of light. And as a city of light, we must let our light shine as a witness of God's salvation to the world. And in particular for us right here locally, we must witness to God's salvation to Philadelphia. We must testify that Jesus rescues, that Jesus restores, that Jesus renews, that only Jesus can bring the shalom that's missing from our city streets right now. Only Jesus can bring the shalom that our nation needs right now. How do we do that? Very similar to Jerusalem in the name of Jesus, through our worship, through our witness. And through our works. 
It's a part of our responsibility to witness to God's salvation in Christ is by doing the work of a faithful city. And a faithful city seeks justice, corrects oppression, and brings justice to the vulnerable among us. That's not all we do, but it's part of what we do. And I believe it's all too often missing from the church today. The church should always be asking in context, where do we see injustice right now? Where do we see oppression right now? Where are the vulnerable among us right now? And then in Jesus' name, with Jesus' gospel, we do something about it. The explosions and sirens that continue to be heard around our city streets make one thing clear. There is injustice and there is oppression in relationship to the systemic racial injustices of our city and country. And church, it's not pleasant, but it must be our priority. The church must shine the light of God's righteousness and justice into the darkness of racial injustice. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's not all we do, but it's part of what we do. And how do we do this? Well, we'll spend the next couple weeks looking at this more specifically. But to prepare us for this ongoing conversation, to prepare us for this ongoing study in God's word, I, I really want to show... <laughs> And time does not permit today. I want to show how the, these two words, good works, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, map on to works of righteousness and justice in the old covenant. And Jesus' use of good works here is a reference point back to God commissioning his people to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with their God. There's a summary of good works. I want to get to that. I want us to do, talk about that specifically in relationship to what's going on around us. But in preparation for that, let's be guided by the same categories that God has used to lead us down other paths of mercy and justice. How do we start doing what we're doing in the community at this point? Well, what did we do? We listened and we learned. We prayed and we planned. We prioritized and we partnered. We're not in this alone. And so I believe we need to go down the same path. Let's listen and learn. If you go to the hub, phillyhub.info, there'll be a list of recommended resources on pursuing racial justice. Lots of amazing leaders that I'm looking forward to you being exposed to. Many of these men are my friends. I want you to listen to them and benefit from them. I want you to read those articles. Benefit, listen, learn. Have conversations in your discipleship community. I know they're already happening. Keep having them. Listen and learn from leaders and listen and learn from our family members. 
Listen and learn from your friends and your coworkers, people on your block. Ask questions, pull up a chair, and be ready to listen and learn. We want to pray and we want to plan. We want to prioritize and we want to partner. And we want to do our part to shine the light of God's righteousness and justice into the darkness of racial injustice. Through our worship, through our witness, through our works, we can be, by the grace of God, a faithful city of light. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our heads and our hearts are kind of spinning right now. There's so much going on. The, the cacophony all around us, we, we, we are struggling to know how to process it and how to respond to it. It's affecting us all in so many different ways. Some of us just want it to go away. Some of us are saying, no, it, it, it needs to stay until something changes. Some of us are fearful. Some of us are scared. Some of us are glad that it's finally come to this so something can actually positively change. God, we're all being affected in so many ways. And here's my prayer, Father, that as your people, in Jesus' name, that we would most importantly let your words inform our responses. Would your words inform our attitudes? Would your words inform our actions? And we've just heard the words of Jesus. Your son Jesus tells us who we are. Your son Jesus tells us what to do. He is our savior and he is our Lord and we want to follow him. So help us. Help us to see clearly. Help us to hear and discern what you're saying to us specifically. And would you help us to be part of this faithful city of light that shines forth your righteousness and justice into the moral darkness of not only racial injustice, but into all injustices to all who are vulnerable, to all who are needy, as your spirit leads us and equips us to do so. We're sad by all that's going on, Lord, but we're also, we're also excited. We're also stirred. You want to use us. Peace is possible in the streets of Philadelphia. Peace is possible in the streets of the United States of America. Racial justice is possible because Jesus Christ lived and died and rose from the dead. And your son is right now still transforming hearts and still transforming lives that we might be aligned with the purposes of God. Oh God, give us hope. And anticipation. This is not a lost cause because your son reigns victorious. Oh, stir us to faith. Stir us to learn. Stir us to listen. But stir us, release us into action as agents of your glorious 
abiding kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.